Hello, it's Damien Fantado here, the host of this week's podcast. Uh, this week's podcast was recorded before the bank holiday and before the vote of uh, confidence in Boris Johnson, which Boris Johnson uh, won. We're discussing the uh, Financial Services and Markets Bill, which the government has said it will bring forward this year. It's obviously now a little bit less clear whether the government will bring forward this bill or indeed be successful in doing so. But it is still technically possible that it could bring this forward. And nonetheless, we touch on uh, topics about the future of regulation that uh, we thought would be interesting for you to hear. So uh, with that in mind, uh, please enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the FT Advisor podcast. In this month's Queen's speech, the government announced plans for a new financial services and markets bill, which will be introduced in the coming year. In it, the government has pledged to revoke EU regulation and replace it with rules which are designed for the UK. It will also cut red tape and update the objectives of the financial services regulators so they have a greater focus on growth and international competitiveness. So far, so vague. But what could any of this mean? And will these changes be as important to the financial services industry and advisors as the last Financial Services and Markets Act? I'm Damien Fantato, Deputy Editor of FT Advisor. And with me to discuss this are Tim Fassam, Director of Government Relations and Policy at PIMFA, and Tom McPhail, a Director of Public Affairs at the LANCAT. Hello both. Hello. Hi. So, as I mentioned in, in the intro, we don't have a huge amount to go on. It's a little vague at the moment. But um, how important do you think this um, new Financial Services and Markets Act could uh, potentially be, uh, Tom? Uh, it's uh, it's definitely significant. Um, I think you look at the work the Treasury was doing uh, around the um, future regulatory framework review. I think that telegraphed some intentions there. Um, and just a few notes we've had from the government already in terms of the kind of outline sketch of what they're planning to do in the bill. Um, I think uh, in the short term, we won't feel profound change because a lot of it is about shifting rulemaking powers from Parliament onto the regulators and stuff like that. So it's about process kind of stuff. But also, uh, I thought it was really interesting the way uh, they came in pretty quickly on the kids um, w with which we've been having some problems. And, uh, and they kind of framed the solution to that problem very much in a, behold, look how we can do stuff post-Brexit now, uh, which you, know, you can understand this government wanting to do. So I, th I think there's that, and I think we'll see more of that kind of thing. They talk about international competitiveness. So I think long term, there might be some quite significant changes, but it won't be an immediate bomb. So, so it's just kind of some headline thoughts on that. Mm, Tim. Yeah, I agree with uh, agree with Tom. I think the the impact of it is likely to be subtle, and it's likely to take some time to come through. Because while they've sort of advertised it as uh, a, a huge repeal of EU law, it's really about a shift in process, as Tom says, uh, that we are moving re uh, what is currently operating as legislation into regulation, so it can be changed by the regulator more easily, and uh, which which arguably makes the the fca and the pra the most powerful regulators in the world because there are very few regulators with as light uh levels of democratic accountability as as the uk regulators but those regulators part of the the introduction of appropriate checks and balances are these new objectives which as you mentioned include uh growth and international competitiveness 
but also a very broad ability for the Treasury to direct the FCA towards um, their policy goals. And this could be really positive for our sector, because as um, sort of Pimfra have argued for some time, the way that the FCA interprets its current consumer protection objective is that the consumer is protected if they don't do anything. So as they, they only need to be protected from making a choice or taking a product or doing something that could harm them. And that leads to the reduction in saving and investment and, and advice that we have seen. Now, actually, if the government says one of our objectives is to be saving, to boost investment, then hopefully that will mean a more nuanced approach from the, the regulator. But because these are almost sort of philosophical changes, changes in, in outlook that they're trying to put through the regulator, it's likely to be many years before we see a significant impact in a lot of areas. Hmm. Yeah, let me, let me just pick up on a couple of points Tim made there, because I ab absolutely agree with everything you said there. I think it was really good. Um, I mean, a couple of thoughts on that. Um, Tim mentioned sort of transparency and parliamentary scrutiny. I think an interesting question all of this is is the, the heft of the Treasury Committee, uh, which at the moment is relatively modest. I mean, you know, the, over the years we've had some good chairs there, they've done some good stuff, but their secretariat is not huge. Um, and I think there's an interesting question going forwards over the the um, the, the resources that can be brought to bear in terms of scrutinising the FCA's performance. Um, so, so, so that's one thing. And I think I absolutely agree with everything Tim said. I'm, I'm struck by the fact that the FCA has been through a bit of a reinvention in the last few years. We've got new management in there. Um, they've had some industrial issues within the FCA. Um, I've, they've, quite a few people have left. So it's, it's, it's gone through a bit of a change. Uh, and I'm really interested to see, given the increased powers that they're going to have coming out the other side of this, how they're going to use that. So I think, yes, we need to look to the Treasury. We also need to kind of watch for the smoke signals coming out of the FCA about what their their intentions are going forward. Mm. Tom, you mentioned kids. Um, I suppose the other area where there's already been action is, is the 10% drop rule, which is now... Um, I don't think it's officially been scrapped. It's still, I think it's still technically suspended, but it's on the way out. But there aren't all that many areas where the FCA has um, expressed huge amounts of disagreement with with EU regulation. In fact, much of MIFID two was um, uh, created with the with the help of the, of the FCA. Do you do you expect that there's going to be huge radical changes? Well, I, I do hope so. And I absolutely concur with Tim's earlier point around, wouldn't it be great to have an, a regulator that is actually focused on outcomes and on not just regulating what does move, but also thinking about what doesn't move as well and whether that needs changing. So that's certainly something. Uh, I think there's a couple of other areas as well um, on fund manager research, which is not an area I claim great expertise, but I'm aware that the way the costs of investment research have been reversed out of the funds and into onto the PL balance sheet of the, the asset managers has some quite significant implications, particularly when you look at ESG and the rising costs of ESG research. We've got so many initiatives coming through, all really good, TCFD, SFDR, SDR, you know, taxonomy, it goes on and on and on. And, and you know, it's all well-intentioned, and that's great. 
But the asset managers are having to bear all the costs of that. Um, and I think there's a potential squeeze and a risk coming down the tracks there. So I'd be interested to see whether uh, off, off, the, off the back of this, this re- legislation, we might see some movement there. Um, here's the advice guidance boundary, you know, always, always. So um, maybe, maybe, maybe um, there'll be some appetite for, for reform there as well. Mm-hmm. Tim, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I agree with everything Tom said. I think what what it will come down to, in a way, is a tension between between what the FCA wants, what the Treasury wants, and what the politicians want. The FCA, as as sort of you've said, were heavily involved in the development of of all EU uh, regulation legislation. They didn't always get what they wanted, so there are areas that they they want to change. But it largely fits with their worldview, although, um, as Tom pointed out, there is new leadership trying to lead cultural change. You have the Treasury that have other objectives, are looking at cost of living, are looking at infrastructure investment, things like that, but are nervous, particularly around anything that might harm the consumer. So they're looking for really quite safe options where there's a reasonable amount of consensus on on the level of change and then you have politicians who have different views but some of whom um like jacob reese mogg are wanting to take quite radical action to show that brexit enables us to do things in a completely different way and so what we'll find i think on different areas of regulation is different groups will win out depending on who's got the most skin in the game Mm. now MIFID actually could be one of the areas where we do get change, partly because both the Treasury and the FCA, I think, recognise that disclosure doesn't work. So Tom talked about the KID um, 10% rule, the whole host of some of the costs and charges stuff just doesn't operate effectively. Um, And so there is support for for reform, although what form that takes and what extent I think uh, is there. Uh, And then I think there is increasing recognition that MIFID is one of the limiting factors that is stopping uh, improvements to the access to advice. So if you go back to the financial advice market review, it was a very long response that basically said MIFID means we can't do anything Mm. because the definition of advice within MIFID is so broad that any degree of personalization pulls you over the line into it being advised at which point you're you're hit by full suitability requirements i think there is increasing recognition that that is um a a sledgehammer to crack a nut and so we're hopeful maybe not immediately but in time that that is something that the treasury will will decide to look at mm. tom uh, tim mentioned disclosure definition of advice there um are there any particular areas that you'd like to see included in in in, in this in this bill well, as part of keeping or throwing out any any of the any regulation. Um, yeah, no, I think uh, picking up on Tim's point, I think that exploration of that guidance boundary and an accommodation towards more robust guidance uh, that gives firms the capacity to steer customers in constructive ways without taking on the full advisory responsibilities and liabilities that exist today. You know, there's widespread recognition of the desirability of that. And we've actually seen the FCA signaling a little bit in that direction with their investment strategy review that came out around October of last year. So, you know, they, they're not insensitive to this kind of stuff. I was also really interested in the, um, the notes sort of trailing the bill 
around the references to additional protections for those investing or using financial products and to make it safe and support the victims of scams. And I think that's worth dwelling on for a moment because we've got still, for all the efforts of all the organizations and inside and outside the regulatory system to protect people from scams, you know, we're doing the best we can, but it ain't working much or it's, it's persistently failing quite a lot, to put it another way. And I think one of the key issues there is that there is not a robust, visible boundary between what is safe and what is unsafe. You know, that, that regulated boundary should be visible from space. It should be like the Great Wall of China. And people should have no doubt, ordinary people out there who don't spend their time looking at financial services regulation should be able to understand at a glance whether the service and product they're buying is, is regulated by the FCA or not. And that doesn't exist. And then if they do buy a product or service that is regulated by the FCA and it goes wrong, they should get full compensation for it. And that also doesn't exist at the moment. So, so the restitution is not absolute. Um, and, and, and it's hardly surprising that people don't entirely trust the system and they do get scammed by people. And of course, Tim's members in PIMFA end up paying the cost for this, as do others in the system, through their increased levies. So, so everybody's losing out of this. So I'm really encouraged to see the Treasury signaling that. Um, and I would encourage them to be um, quite uh, adventurous and robust in how they take that one forward. I mean, I'll give you one more example, finally. You try and look on the FCA website to search out whether someone's... I mean, obviously, normal people don't do this. But, but the FCA's website is not easy to engage with. It's not easy to find stuff. It's not easy to check whether someone's actually a good guy or not. So I think there's a lot of stuff the FCA needs to think about in mm. there. On that topic of what is and isn't regulated, I suppose, the, the, other, the other area that the government has said this bill will look at is updating the objectives of the financial services regulators. We've, we've sort of touched on this a little already, but um, sort of to address it explicitly... Tim, what do, you, what do you think this means and how do you think this is sort of going to end up looking? Yeah, I think, um, so there's three areas. Um, and what it really means is these are going to be the, uh, the way that the FCA has to justify what they're doing and the, um, the ways in which people will be able to legitimately argue against uh, their activity and what they are doing. And how they um, how they operate. So there's, there's three important ones. The first one is growth. Um, the the FCA is unusual in not having to have regard to economic growth. Most international regulators have to have um, a view on on some economic metric. Sometimes it's employment. Sometimes it's access to finance. Um, often it is economic growth. And that is to try and stop the regulator just limiting particularly access to finance and, and ratcheting up uh, capital requirements, um, which then limit uh, the availability of capital within the economy. Um, but I think in our um the UK economy, hopefully what that will mean is they will have to have more regard to the value of investment and the growth that investment can can drive. The second is international competitiveness, international trade. Um, and that's a requirement because if you look at, I, I mean, I won't get too much into it because it's not that relevant to, to your listeners, but 
if you look at how international trade operates, trade deals are largely meaningless for financial services because they're predominantly dealing with quotas and tariffs. And there's very limited impact of quotas and tariffs on, on financial services. What matters is regulatory recognition and regulatory cooperation. And what that means is if you want to increase financial services trade internationally, that will largely be down to the regulator. And right now, the regulator has no particular incentive to, to help with that, certainly no requirement. And then finally, and potentially most impactfully, this requirement, this ability of the Treasury to direct them towards policy goals. Now, the bit that, that is always concerning about this, and there's debates this week about the independence of the Bank of England, is different political parties and different governments will have different priorities. So this government is likely to say they want to boost investment, they want to boost um, individual investment, individual capital owning. Um, they're likely to want to increase access to advice at certain points. Um, there may be other governments that have other priorities. So this does introduce a bit more volatility into the goals of the regulator. But hopefully, again, like the growth objective, just takes them away from focusing on a very repressive regulatory approach. Um, George Osborne used to have this phrase when he talks about financial stability, that we don't want the stability of the graveyard. And that's what we're wanting to avoid. We want to retain a dynamic and competitive um, financial services market in all areas and hopefully this will encourage the regulator to play their part in regard to that mm. but i guess tom that sort of slightly brings us back to the point that you were making around you know uh scams and things which aren't you know you know what you want as you say you want as tim said you want to have a you want to have a dynamic financial services but not one which is too dynamic i suppose well, no, um, and, and also um, there's, you know, there's a tension there because you want it to be effective, but actually you also want it to be as simple as possible. And I think when you get into capital markets and international growth, that's one thing. Um, when you're dealing with retail customers, simplicity wins every time. Um, and, you know, um, there are so many aspects of financial regulation that are not simple and transparent. So mm -hmm. um, I think... Uh, Personally, I would encourage the regulator to look in that direction. And on, and on the broader point of how the of how the the government might up, update the objectives of the regulation, what's your thoughts? Uh, I'd love to see them have. I'd certainly like them to see, as as Tim alluded to earlier on, something referencing um, good consumer outcomes that goes beyond consumer protection and says, look, you, the regulator, have to have due regard for whether people are taking out enough life insurance, whether they're taking putting enough money into savings. You know, I've been looking at the equity release market. It's 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 moribund, but it's not entirely. But it's not nowhere it's nowhere near where it should be. And that's partly down to the regulatory shortcomings and the, the dead hand that rests on top of it. So so I, I'd love to see more in that space. I mean, yes, international growth and competitiveness, but but you know that's that's less my, my focus of attention. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. And to, to kind of go back to a point Tom's made a couple of times in this, I think it's really important. But it's, it's worth unpacking why that is, which is about this idea of the regulatory parameter and clarity of what's regulated and what's not, which is, and this is an area of real tension between the government and the EU's approach. And this is the one area where there's real inconsistencies because the UK in pure UK regulatory terms is largely not a product regulator. It is a service and process regulator. 
the products that we have that are regulated products with the exception of of pensions are eu created products that are then regulated and that creates this very odd tension where you have some regulated products some unregulated products but they actually have fairly similar levels of protection if they have been sold with advice or if they have been sold by a regulated entity. So we have these very frustrating conversations with the FCA and the FSCS when they are providing compensation on unregulated products that are quite clearly not appropriate for mainstream investors because they have been sold with something that crosses the line to advice even if that firm doesn't have permission to give advice so things that are essentially fraud that are crimes really are are kind of considered mainstream financial products not for the purposes of regulation but for the purposes of compensation Mm -hmm. and so we have the ability to say right well actually in the uk we're going to pick one we're either going to be a, a services and process regulator, in which case we will shift away from having some regulated products and um, have a purer sense, or actually we're going to go beyond what we, we have from the EU and define what we see as mainstream financial services products that have regulatory protection. And if you want to invest in something else, then it will be made very, very clear that you are not protected by the compensation arrangements. And cryptocurrency and NFTs make that absolutely urgent. Because while I don't think it's been tested in the courts or been tested by the FOS, if someone bought a cryptocurrency under advice, that could potentially fall on into the compensation scheme. Mm. And briefly, which of those do you think is more likely? I I think they are struggling enough with the challenges of the regulatory perimeter and specifically the challenges of crypto where uh, Nico has been quite clear in a speech he gave about a month ago that he does not think cryptocurrency should be compensated in any circumstances. If they want to be able to maintain that position, they are going to have to define a a product perimeter and what's in it. And you're also seeing you know, big growth in things like uh, whiskey and wine being sold as financial products. Um, And if they want to protect individuals from them, they are going to have to make a very clear distinction as to what is inside the regulatory auspice Mm -hmm. and what is outside. And at the moment, as we've seen with things like LCF, things get very easily brought into the perimeter for the purposes of compensation without mm-hmm. proper regulatory controls on how they operate. Do you agree to Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. Couldn't have put it better. And I think I think there's a there's a there's, there's, again we're back to clarity simplicity. Um and you know, come back to my test. Can it be seen from space? Um that's that's the question the FCA should be asking itself. And whatever solution they come up with, whether they go on the product or the process and services route, you know, it they, they need to be disentangled and clear and simple and, and transparent and transparent for customers. I mean, it's okay for a degree of complexity for the industry. We can manage that. But the end product needs to be really, really 
simple to articulate to customers. Sure. And to, to, to wrap up briefly, um, Tom, you might remember that during the uh, the Brexit process, people were talking about the UK becoming Singapore on Thames, and that would be a, a bonfire of regulations, and you know we would we would sail off into the Atlantic Ocean as a, as a buccaneering um, um, as a buccaneering nation. Uh, how how likely do you think that it is that we're going we're going to see that sort of situation after yeah. after this act becomes reality? Uh, a lot of things were said in the Brexit campaign, weren't they? So, so is that um, I um, I'm not holding my breath for a bonfire regulation, um, and I'm not sure that would be wholly appropriate for the UK. Um, I think we have some we have some very good aspects to our regulatory architecture, and I'm not in a hurry to get rid of them. I think we've discussed some of the ways they can be improved. Um, I, I don't get a sense that the Treasury and the government are actually in a hurry to. Um, move to uh, Singapore on Thames, as, as, as you refer to. Do you get some? Um, yeah, I, I declare an interest that I, in a past life, I did spend some time uh, leading the city's uh, interaction with the Brexit negotiations when I was at City UK. Um, the only times I've ever heard people use the phrase bonfire of regulations or Singapore on Thames is the industry setting out it does not want. <laughs> <laughs> so the phrase, it was usually heard in the terms of, we do not want to be Singapore in terms, we do not want a bonfire of the regulations. And I think that's still true for the industry. A robust regulatory system is good for the financial service industry. It's just got to be proportionate and appropriate. The, the only other thing I'd say is having worked with the Singaporean regulator, it is definitely not light touch. Um, it, it, but what it does do is it is responsive to the wider challenges that are going on within society. So, for example, the Singaporean regulator um, looks at what it uh, does in terms of will this increase saving and protection? And it, it has that as a specific objective. Now, if that's what Singapore on Thames means, brilliant, bring it on. I'd love the FCA to be looking at how to boost saving, how to boost investment, how to boost protection. But I think, you know, we, we do not want our global status as arguably the leading financial centre in the world with only New York as the competitor. That is based in part on a regulatory system that works. So we don't want to lose that. It would be it would be bad for everyone. Cool. Well, lots to think about. Uh, should be an interesting um, interesting process to go through this, uh, see, how this uh, see how this develops. Uh, thank you very much, Tim. Thank you very much, Tom. And thank you for listening and tuning in again next week for the next edition of the FT Advisor podcast. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.